Jesus' birth marked the beginning of God's rescue plan, in some ways kind of breaking into the world. But that was only necessary because the perfect world that God had made went horribly wrong. In the very beginning, everything was perfect. God created a world in which there wasn't any sin or any suffering or any sickness, any pandemics, any death. And the relationship that God had with those very first people, Adam and Eve, was perfect. There was peace and joy between God and men and women. But Adam and Eve chose to break God's law and everything came crashing down. Sin and suffering came into the world, began to damage everything that God had made perfect and the unavoidable reality changed. One from life to death. The peace that Adam and Eve had enjoyed with God, it was enjoyed with God, had been ruined. And instead of enjoying that, they were banished from his presence. Right in that moment, right in the middle of all of that mess and all of that ruin and all of that seeming despair, God made a great promise. A great promise that Adam and Eve and everyone after them would then be looking for that one day would come a rescuer. And we're going to be reminded of that promise in our first reading, which comes from the book of Genesis. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you appear with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Ever since that promise, humanity has been holding its breath, waiting for that serpent crusher to come. Every single generation, boys and girls, from Adam and Eve, and their children, and their children's children, and on and on and on, wondered whether this would be the generation when the coming rescuer would be born. There had been that sense of longing in humanity. Next reading tells us what happened when the long-expected Jesus was born in Bethlehem. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. We're going to follow the story on as the shepherds do exactly what the angels told them to do and head off to Bethlehem. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, ever since that first Christmas, Jesus has told men and women and boys and girls like us to come and see and investigate Bethlehem, not physically, spiritually, to come and behold him, born the king of angels, the only one we should worship and adore. Cards on the table, I, I love Christmas. Uh, first and foremost, I love Christmas because I'm a Christian. And Christmas is the most, one of, the most glorious times in the year when I'm reminded that God so loved me, he would send his own son into the world to save me. I also love Christmas because I'm a preacher. And if you're a preacher, of the Christian message who doesn't really have any joy or hope about Christmas, you probably need to rethink your day job. But I also love lots of the things that come along with Christmas in our culture. I love watching my girls decorate our Christmas tree. My wife has never allowed me to decorate our Christmas tree, but my girls do a wonderful job. I love going around our town singing carols to our neighbors. I love wrapping up the few presents that I need to wrap in order to see that joy 
on Christmas Day morning as the presents are opened. I love gingerbread lattes and Christmas dinners and all those delicious, yummy things. But I know that's not true for everyone. And I want to spend a few minutes this evening speaking to those of you for whom there isn't a really genuine sense of joy this Christmas. There may be many different reasons why you wouldn't have a sense of joy. Perhaps this is the first Christmas in your family where you will be missing a much-loved family member at the table. Perhaps the only reason on earth why you are here this evening is because you are seeking asylum and somewhere safe to call home. Perhaps this is the very first time in your life when you've been without a job and you don't know whether you have enough money to pay the bills, let alone cover the presents. There are all sorts of painful circumstances that might make Christmas feel difficult to get excited about for you this year. But there's one particular reason that I want us to focus on tonight. And and the older I get, the more and more I think people genuinely struggle with feeling that the Christmas message doesn't ring true. I think for lots of people, there's a sense that the Christmas message comes across a bit hollow. So when you were younger, you might remember all of that wonderful excitement of being involved in the nativity. And there was a great story to be able to act out to your family and friends of this baby boy who was born in a manger because there wasn't anywhere else for him to lay his head. And of all of the excitement of the angels who filled the sky in what I can only imagine was a life-changing experience for the shepherds. And of wise men who would travel all of that distance in order to bring their gifts to honor and worship this baby. And all of that story is wonderfully, wonderfully true. But perhaps as you've grown up, you felt a bit like you found a pebble in your Christmas slippers. Something just doesn't seem to fit. And as much as you want to get excited about Christmas all over again, something just isn't quite right. I imagine most of us have wandered up and down the parades looking for our gifts over the course of the last few weeks. And if you've done so when it's dark, and it's really pretty, you'll have seen shop after shop after shop with candle ornaments or light ornaments that say peace. I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room who has already had their annual fill of John Lennon's Happy Christmas War is Over. And I'm not going to sing the lyrics, but you know the lyrics because they've been played in the shops for weeks. And so this is Christmas. War is over. For weak and for strong, if you want it. The rich and the poor ones, war is over. The road is so long. And then you come to a carol service like this. And in many churches around our land, um, there would perhaps have been an older translation of the Bible that would have been used as we went through the service. And in that incredible scene that we've just read of the angels speaking to the shepherds, the language would have been a little more like this. 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. There it is again. Peace. Only this time in the Christmas story, peace on earth is rooted in, it's connected with the birth of Jesus. And that's where many people feel a bit of a rub. Because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was born. And we don't know peace on earth. This map shows you the places of conflict in our world this year. Yellow is areas where there have been no more than a hundred deaths caused by conflict. Dark red are areas of major war. And in each of those areas, there have been more than 10,000 deaths because of war this year. According to the Imperial War Museum, an estimated 187 million people have been killed in war since 1900. So who knows exactly how many hundreds of millions have died since the angels sang their song in Luke chapter 2. It's not hard to see why for lots of people the Christmas message doesn't seem to ring true. The candles are burning for peace. Lenin's singing for peace. It seems like the angels are promising peace, but what is it that we're surrounded with? War and suffering and death. And you might be sat with us this evening thinking, doesn't history disprove Christianity? That's... um, what the American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow believed. In one of his poems, he wrote this. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Doesn't history disprove the Christmas story? If it does, you'd be right to feel a sense of anticipointment this Christmas. I learnt that word this week. I've just made it up. I learnt that word. It must be true. I heard it on the radio. Has anybody else heard this word? Anticipointment. No, it's just me. Am I the only person that listens to Five Live in the room? Anyway, there's that sense of anticipointment. And I thought that's a great way of summarizing that tension that you might be feeling this evening about Christmas. Because there's lots of things that you're anticipating and are building up in all of your excitement as the presents are wrapped and the food's prepared and all that kind of stuff is done. But if you've got this lagging thought in the back of your head of where is the peace on earth, that anticipation is no doubt mixed with a sense of disappointment. Trying to run through all of the excitement and the joy of of Christmas, feeling like you're dragging along this dead weight of disappointment behind you. If you can relate to that struggle... To borrow the words of the angels, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy. Because worldwide peace is not what the angels were promising. The old translation I just read of glory to God in the highest and on earth peace uh, 
goodwill toward man. It's not actually the, the best and most helpful way to translate that verse. A better way to do it is the version that we read earlier, where we read, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And what's promised there is an even greater peace. It's a peace that comes when God puts his favor, his his good pleasure upon someone, and that changes everything. It changes the kind of peace we should be looking for, and it challenges the way that we think about ourselves. Let's take that second thought first. The peace the angels promise challenges the way that we think about ourselves. For the vast majority of people, we think we're God's friends. Look around the world, and we uh, grade ourselves by comparison to all the other people that we see, carefully creating a marking scheme that has us coming out on top compared to other people. So we're not as unkind. We're more generous. We go the extra mile. We'll do things others wouldn't do. And so we create this own list to ensure that in our own minds, whether we think we were born God's friends or whether we think we can earn God's friendship, we assume we're friends and at peace with God. But that's not what the angels tell us. It's not what the rest of the Bible tells us. The the Bible tells us when Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, that's why we read that reading right from the very beginning of both the Bible and of time, Every man, woman, boy, and girl that has followed Adam and Eve ever since has inherited a heart that is at enmity. It is against, it is fighting towards God. And when we're born into the world, we carry on in that way. It becomes the things that we choose to do. Now, every single one of us can do a differing degree of a brilliant job of hiding that. You may even have a superb religious mask that you can put on your face and give the impression that actually you are very comfortable in religious places and doing religious things and feeling that everybody else thinks that you're being carried along with it. But deep down, we are all born with an anger towards God being the one who is in charge of our lives and the world's. A few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul wrote to describe something of this feeling, this reality to an early church in Rome. And this is how he describes all of us. In our own selves, he describes all of us as powerless sinners who deserve God's wrath because we're his enemies. That's not what any of us want to hear at Christmas time, is it? But it is the single most important thing any of us can hear at Christmas time because it is our greatest problem. And until we're clear about that, we won't have any idea how truly wonderful is the coming of the Son of God. In the uh, same letter, Paul goes on to explain the hope that is at the very heart of Christianity. And this is what he says. Therefore, 
since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. This is the peace the angels were singing about. It's not global peace between nations. It's the promise of spiritual peace between sinful people like me and all of us and a holy God. And none of us can earn it. The angels were really clear about that. This peace, they said, is upon those whom God's favor rests. And what Paul's describing here is that this peace is what we have through faith in Jesus. Faith in believing that he is the one who came into the world to live the perfect life that none of us could live. Faith in him being the one who died upon the cross to take the penalty for every sin of every person who would believe in him. And faith in him to know that the one who then came back to life three days later is now ascended and reigning with the king of kings. He is the one who gives us his peace with God the Father. And that is the peace that we want you to know this Christmas. In the midst of everything else that's going to go on in your Christmas over the course of the next week. All of the joy, I pray, maybe all of the sadness and the frustration too. All of the suffering as you look around the world around us. This is the peace that brings deep-seated joy because you know it is well with your soul. And we would love for you to know that soon. Because one day, Jesus will come back. And he will not be a defenseless and dependent baby boy. We will behold him as the king of kings and the prince of peace. When Jesus returns, he will recreate this broken world. The Bible promises that on that day, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. One day, the kind of peace we're longing for will come. War will be over. Wickedness will be banished. It will not be possible for anyone to do anything evil ever. But that great future is coming only for those who have faith in Jesus and have known the favor of God rest upon them. Everyone who rejects Jesus is rejecting him paying the price for our sin. And the Bible says that if we reject him paying the price, we have to pay the price ourselves. The Bible's really honest about how awful that will be. And that is why Jesus came. He came to bear that awful judgment in our place so that you and I can know that peace with God and know that when he comes and recreates that world where war is over, we will know 
that eternal peace with God forever. That's why Christians love Christmas.